You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. And as I was kind of evaluating the, the remainder of this chapter and really how many weeks we have left until Christmas, I realized uh, my pace is, as usual in Romans, uh, very slow. <laughs> um, so in that effort, and as I was analyzing and praying through these names in this first half of Romans 16, uh, I saw a common thread that we can trace out today uh, instead because the first few names that we had gone through, uh, verses 1 through 7, there is very distinct things about them that are mentioned that are examples for us or, or things that we can pr- be praying our, in our own lives or, or praying for Christians who are experiencing those things. But in the remainder of uh, this section of Romans chapter 16, we see a common thread in all the people. One common thread we gather is this great picture of the church. Really, this collective is a a summary of the most important thing about the church. It's not about the location that they're in Rome. It's not about the size of their church, because it mentions a few uh, churches that gathered in homes here. We don't know whether that was 15 people or 50 people. It doesn't say, well, you know, the church of 40 people that gathered in your home. So it's not about the size of the church. That wasn't most important. It wasn't about their leadership structure. It wasn't about programs they ran or did not run. It wasn't about opinions on secondary matters of theology or politics. The most important thing here at the church in Rome and every other church through all the ages is that the church is the people who are in Christ. It is, that is what the church is, is those who are in Christ. And then all else that they are and that they do flows from that very thing. The most important thing, union with Christ. It's all because of that union. Phoebe carried a letter from her comfort of her home to Rome because she was in Christ, that relationship. A, a worthy welcome of the saints where they were to welcome her is because they were in Christ. Those who risked their necks, those who moved as missionaries, those who were hard workers, those who were in prison was all because they were in Christ. So as we read through this section, and and really as you read through your entire Bible, especially the New Testament, notice when it talks about in Christ or in him or in Jesus, it is profound because that is the uh, summary makeup of what is the church. It is those people who are, in fact, in Christ. So as I read and as we look, take take note of this thread. This thread which shows us the most important thing at the church in Rome. So Romans chapter 16, I'm going to begin from the top again just to read for you verses 1 through 16. And I want you to hear this thread, see the thread of the most important thing about the church at Rome. Romans chapter 16, this is God's word. It says in verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apanatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. 
They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristopolis. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, cho- uh, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlagon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermus, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I'm sure you could see the thread. It is not hard to see the thread of this union with Christ being in Christ or in the Lord. And how that doesn't only make up the church, but it is what transforms the church. This union with Christ. So what then does it mean to be in Christ? That's profound because if you remember who Christ is, it's not just a name. It's not just a man who walked the earth. It's not just a religious figure. Christ is God. And for you and me, and for those in the church at Rome to be able to be in Christ, in God, what does that mean? What is the nature of being in Christ? We see it first in verse 5, especially when mentioning this man called Epanetus. It says that he was the first convert to Christ. Convert. He changed. Something changed in him. He was once one thing, and now he's something else. He converted. He once believed in himself and in his own righteousness. He once believed in the world. He once hoped in the world and in his own abilities. And now he is converted. Something has changed dramatically in him. There's been a transformation. To be in Christ was you were once in yourself. You were once in your sin. You were once in your righteousness. You were once in trouble. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins. You were once in darkness. You were once a child of the enemy. You were once hostile to God. But now, when you've been converted, there is a nature change. You are now not just in this world, but you are not of this world. You're not just in Adam. You are now in Christ. And that holds so much weight to be in Christ as a convert from a life of darkness and hopelessness, of guilt and sin and eternal damnation, to convert to a new nature. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says it really well about this dramatic change of what it means to be in Christ, this conversion Paul says it, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I, this man who's alive, have been crucified. All that I was, all that I am in, has died. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but the life, but sorry, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified. The life that I live is, is that I once lived is dead. It has been converted. It has been transformed. The life I now live is by faith in the Son of God. It is Christ who lives in me. There has been this dramatic nature change. My desires are not what they once were. My goals in life are not once what they once were. I have been converted. I have been transformed out of that. I've changed from one thing to another. That's, first off, the nature of what it means to be in Christ is this conversion, this change. But what is it like to be in Christ? Is it just while well, you've once saved and always saved and then your life just can kind of do whatever? You raised your hand, you signed a card, you know, you went to a crusade, and then you're good. You've got your get out of jail free. You've done it. Is that the nature of what it means to be in Christ? Is that what it is like to be in Christ? Is just to be secure, but be the same? No. It is much deeper than that. It's more than just like this, I got to hold on and make sure that I, I don't forget Jesus' name so that I can get into heaven. It's much more than that. Your life is dramatically changed in that you are, it says in Ephesians 1 verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. And so some people stop there and think, see, in Christ I am blessed by worldly standards. I will be wealthy and happy and healthy. And see, Scripture says it. Well, you've got to carry on reading the verse. It says, God has, in Christ, He has blessed us, it says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have every spiritual blessing. Because remember, we were spiritually dark before. We were spiritually guilty before. We were spiritually destined for hell before. Every spiritual blessing is every spiritual joy that can flow from the spiritual realities of our conversion. This nature of being in Christ now produces in us, it is like, to be in Christ, it is like being approved by God. Verse 10, look at it. this man called uh, Apelles says, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Approved in Christ. That's, that's shocking. If you know your own heart, and you know the holiness of God, who is pure, and who has created the law, and you know your own heart, do you think you could ever stand and say, I'm approved before him? I'm approved. I'm accepted. I'm welcomed. He approves of me. That's hard to wrap our minds around, but that's what happens in Christ. In Christ. We are hidden in Christ. So when he looks at us, we are approved. When, when God from the clouds billows out, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Well pleased. Approved. And now you're in Christ. He looks at you and says, this is my child with whom I am well pleased. And they are approved. Not because of something they did. Apelles was not some super Christian who all of a sudden had like done 14 extra spiritual things. And so Paul happens to mention, hey, we know that God likes him. The rest of you, you might be in Christ, but you're not approved. That's not the case. He, he points specifically to Apelles as an example. Well, maybe this man struggled with his acceptance before God. And he just wanted to remind him in the letter. Greet him. Remind him he's approved in Christ. It's a good reminder to us as well if we ever struggle with our acceptance before God. Why would I ever be acceptable to you, O oh God? 
Why should I ever be able to come to you? I'm filthy. I've sinned. My motive is wrong. My, my, my life is full of rubbish. And he says, you're approved. You're accepted. You're welcome because of Christ. You are approved not on your own. You're approved not in your own doing. But you are approved in Christ. You're hidden in Christ. And that's where you're approved. You're accepted to God. Because of all that Christ has been. So, when Ephesians 1.3 says that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing, you realize part of that spiritual blessing is welcome before God. Approval to God. We see that here of what it means. The nature of being in Christ is not just a, a conversion and check. It is conversion and acceptance. Acceptance not just one and in that moment because you did something really special, but acceptance eternally, where God adopts you as his own and will call you home one day and welcome you into his kingdom forever. What's the nature? Conversion. What's it like? It's to be blessed with every spiritual blessing approved in Christ. Well, what are the effects of being in Christ? Well, we see that. We see that on repeat, even through this chapter. All of these people, which make up this thread of the church at Rome, they show us examples of what the, the effects of being in Christ are. Someone who is willing to give up all they have and pack up their family and move because there's people over there who need encouragement, people over there who um, need a church. We see uh, examples where Paul mentioned in chapter 15 about this collection that he was taking up from all the churches. People who gave generously and, and beyond their means so that other Christians would have and not be in great need. It changes you. It, it, it allows people to say, I'm willing to go to prison for the sake of the gospel. It allows people to work hard, sacrifice themselves, open up their homes for the church. The effects of this being in Christ also brings you into this family where you're not a solo person. Where you are concerned about the greater good of God's church and God's people. But also being in him has great effects spiritually. Ephesians 1 is a great chapter to study when it comes to this. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption. That's the effects. Redemption through his blood. And in him we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The effects, redemption, forgiveness. The effects, Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 13, in him, in Ephesians 1, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, then you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. In him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Sealed until the day of redemption. Sealed with this Holy Spirit who will shape us and mold us and who will uh, illuminate the word for us. The spirit who will lead us and guide us. Who will tell us when we're right and when we're wrong. We are sealed with that spirit. The spirit of God himself is upon us when we are in him. 
And I like that verse in verse 13 of uh, Ephesians chapter 1 because it kind of describes how you uh, are in him. In him, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him. You heard the word of the gospel and you believed in him. Jesus, the gospel, you believed in him and now you are in him, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So to be in Christ isn't only to be converted. It isn't only to be approved. It is to be transformed, redeemed, forgiven. It's one who has an inheritance and one who is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Well, it also produces some fruit and effects. So what does it produce for those who are in Christ? One example there you see in verse 12 of uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa and, and great a beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Wasn't just a hard worker. Wasn't just described as someone who slaved away and was a workaholic. But there was a, a mission and a purpose behind Persis' work. It was in the Lord. In the strength of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. For the glory of the Lord. Persis worked in the Lord. So being in Christ produces a different kind of work ethic. A different kind of service. A different kind of Life altogether it creates in us a new nature. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 is well known. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It produces in us a new nature, new desires, new goals. It also produces in us Freedom from condemnation. The very weapon that Satan uses against you to discourage you, to try to defeat you, to say, you're not worthy, you're definitely not approved. Now, I don't know if you've been converted. I mean, look at your life. You're a mess. You clearly still don't love God. Look at you. And he just condemns you. But he has been robbed of that authority. If you remember the gospel, you remember what Christ has done. He, he took that condemnation and he nailed it to the cross. Robbing the rulers and authorities of all power, including Satan, who wants to accuse you. And then you remember Romans 8.1, a precious verse we all should memorize. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Whatever your heart tries to tell you, whatever the mirror tries to tell you, whatever Satan tries to tell you, or others try to tell you. If you are in Christ, your life is bought by Christ's blood. You're being transformed by Christ. You're in Christ. There is no condemnation for you. Not now, not ever. Because Christ was condemned on your behalf. There's nothing left. He took it all. All of the condemnation, all of the accusations towards you, Christ took and said, call it to me. Tell me that I'm a liar. Tell me that I'm greedy. Tell me that I have a problem. And I will bear that guilt so they bear it no more. Praise the Lord. He took our condemnation. That's what it means to be in Christ. So when the fiery darts of the devil come at you to, to condemn you, you're in Christ. And he's already dealt with the condemnation. You're in him. There's no condemnation for you anymore. God himself, the great judge, can't condemn you anymore. Because Christ has been condemned for you. It transforms the way we live. 
So then how do you get in? How do you be one who is in Christ? It's not just about showing up. It's not just about doing church things, living the church life, going on mission trips even. That's why I like Matthew chapter 7 is so valuable, right? Because you have those who come to Lord Jesus when they've died, and they come and they say, Lord, Lord, and he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Like, I don't even know you. We don't have a relationship. You're not in me. And they say, but didn't we do all of these Christian things? He says, I, I don't know you. You're not in me. So, so then how do we get in Christ? Look at verse 13. Rufus. He is described as one chosen in the Lord. Chosen in the Lord as all are chosen in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, listen very carefully. And because of him, you are in Christ. Not because of us. Not because of something great you did, some card you signed, some righteousness you were able to muster up. No, no. Because of him, you are in Christ. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It echoes Ephesians chapter 2 how we're saved and we're it's not in our own doing and it's not of our own work so no man may boast it's by grace because of him you are in christ if he uh first corinthians 1 30 so valuable to us to remember so, so that if you ever feel like you're out of christ or maybe you're not in christ you try to think of some of the things that you may have done remember the only way you're in christ is because of him. So if there was to ever be an out of Christ, it would be because of him, and that's never going to happen. He's the one who says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I have sealed you until the day of redemption. It's because of him, it's not because of us. Because of him, you are in Christ. Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Uh, interesting fact about Rufus is he is very likely the son of Simon the Cyrene who carried the cross for Christ. Rufus is very likely, it's highly likely, that he is the son of Simon, who carried Christ's cross. And this man and his family were so valuable to Paul. You see how Paul describes to Rufus, he says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. God has done this thing. It, it, it was God who selected Simon. It was God who, who called, went into Rufus's life. In the way that he did. But also he says. Also greet his mother. Who has been a mother to me as well. Rufus mother. Simon's wife. Has been kind to Paul. The amazing thing is. If that was the case. And, and this is Simon's family. He was, he was abused. And yet. Paul. Also the abuser of Christians. Is welcomed in their home. It's amazing to think of this family and what the transformation of being in Christ has done for them. That Rufus and his mother have uh, been near and dear to Paul in some way. But he is described as chosen the Lord. That doesn't mean all the rest of the people were not chosen the Lord, or you and I are not chosen the Lord. The only way we are ever in Christ is by his account, not by ours, so that we may never, ever boast. Rufus, chosen 
in the Lord. And, and it's amazing, the rest, verses uh, 14 and uh, 15, you see kind of these groupings of other churches. And, you know, and all the brothers that are with them. And, and all the saints who are with them. You see this collective of, of the church at Rome. And Paul could have gone on, I'm sure. And it doesn't mean that those who are not mentioned in this chapter are not important. But here he's highlighting some things about what the gospel does in people and how it transforms people. But ultimately you see that thread of what the church at Rome is. It's those who are in Christ. And the beauty of the whole entire book is you see that whole journey. You see the transformation of those who've given over themselves to sin. The effects of that. Those who Christ has redeemed and transformed and now in the body of Christ together, where he has called us into, into his own self. We are the body of Christ. We are in Christ. He is our head. We've been called into that in great joy. And so have all of these in Rome. They are in Christ. And because of their relationship with Christ, they are together. As Christ prayed in John 17, when he prayed for his disciples, right? He prayed that we would be one as he is one, so that the world may know that the Father sent him. He says, I'm going to transform my people, but that transformation is going to produce unity. It's going to produce love that is unlike any other kind of love, unlike any other kind of unity. You have sports fans that get together, and they are, are a great crowd for their team. But they all have that same interest, the team that comes and goes. You have people who have hobbies who get together, and they're all for that. But if you're not for their hobby, you're not one of them. In the church, it does not matter your hobbies, your interests, your age, your eth ethnicity. It doesn't matter. It matters only if you are in Christ, then you are one with him and one with his family. And in that family is affection and love and respect. You see that in verse 16. A verse that we think, whoa, that does not apply to us. Or please not, especially when there's a, a virus floating around. Verse 16 Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. It was a literal holy kiss. A, a kiss that would have been on the forehead or cheek. A greeting of affection, of love, of intimacy. It, it would have been there. And it was holy as in it was untarnished by any sort of wrong feelings towards other people. Two men kissing each other on cheek was not sketchy. It was holy it was right. It was good. And so maybe that's why it got out of style in the church, in the Western church anyways, because we're perverse, right? So maybe that's why that, that does not exist. It still exists in other cultures, European cultures, South American cultures, to embrace, to, to kiss. There's nothing wrong with it. And what kissing, what this holy kiss shows is a family. What it shows is affection, it shows his unity and mutual respect. Think about that. You have uh, slave owners and slaves. And that happened. You know, Christians had slaves. They had employees that would just lived in their house and they just worked for them. Um, and they were to treat them well. We know that all through scripture. But you had these two people. And, and you think of a, a, someone who's high and lofty and a, and a little peasant coming up to them. What normally happened? Well, you can imagine it. They bend down and they kiss their feet or they kiss their hand or they kiss their ring. You know, oh, the king up there. It's just a, shine of a sign of respect and reverence. Well, here in the church, it's an, it's an equal playing field. Those who are high and lofty and wealthy and those who are the poorest of the poor, 
they kissed each other. Greet each other with the holy kiss. It was a mutual respect. It wasn't, oh, you're rich and I'm not. So I'm going to fear you. I'm going to revere you. I'm going to give you the respect you deserve. It was, we all respect one another because we're all in Christ. It It was amazing what... It, being in Christ did. It transformed this world it, it, like none other. It took away all those different boundaries, all those different lines, and said we are one of respect for one another, of unity in the gospel, of affection in this family which God has brought into. This is what happens when a group of people are found in Christ. They greet one another. doesn't matter where they're from. They greet one another with a holy kiss, with affection, with respect, with unity. So then, uh, this isn't just uh, to the church at Rome. This is not the only greeting about a holy kiss. The church at Corinth, Paul mentions it, a Thessalonica. And then Peter also mentions it in 1 Peter 5. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love. So it's not just a, a Pauline thing. It's not just a Roman thing. It was universal because it showed that love, that affection, and that mutual respect. So then we must ask, what does the being in Christ produce in us? What kind of fruit has it produced in me specifically? How has being in Christ impacted me? And that's where we share our testimonies. We share our stories of what God has done in me and through me and what he's doing in me. We share those stories because it's celebrating what it has meant for us to be in Christ, to be found in him, whether it's to be finally accepted, finally loved, to be free from the guilt that that just plagues us. What does it mean for you to be in Christ? How has it produced uh, fruit in you personally? But then also, how does it impact those in Christ around you? The fact that you're in Christ, is it impacting those around you? We see in the church at Rome, it did. It had a great ripple effect. All those who were in Christ rippled in to the others around them so much that Paul mentions from a far land people he'd never even met but he'd heard of what their relationship with Christ had done to the church and to the church global. So then, how does your relationship with Christ, your union with Christ, your being hidden in Christ, how does it impact those around you? In your church, in your neighborhood, in your family. Think about this list of names again and just think about all that they had done and been and seen. All because they were in this family, in Christ. Hebrews 10, 24-25 says it well. It says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Are we in Christ, encouraging those who are in Christ? In Romans chapter 15, it says it as well. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we live in harmony in Christ so that God gets glory. May that be so. Let's pray to that end. God, it is amazing what you have done for us. Stuff that we could never do for ourselves. We could never uh, have cleansed ourselves. We could never redeem ourselves. We could never have found forgiveness, hope, and inheritance. The Holy Spirit. 
We could never have found a body of people who have gifts and abilities that we don't have, that we need. We need people to serve us and we need to serve others. And so we thank you for the gift of the church, the church that is made up of your people, those who are in Christ. And we experience all the blessings and benefits of being in Christ, in community. Pray that we would experience that and know that and use it. For your honor and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.